This morning, we've been uh, having some of our college students uh, come forward and pray and read the scripture with us this morning. Uh, earlier today, we've had uh, students from a couple different colleges, and this morning we have one I know pretty well. Uh, Lisa Morgan is a student at Iowa State, and she's going to lead us uh, through the scripture and prayer this morning. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read to you guys Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38, so if you'll follow along with me as I read. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Will you please all bow your heads as we pray? Almighty God, we bow our spirits and our hearts in your presence today, inviting the Holy Spirit into our midst. We come together in this very important time of prayer as we first give honor and praise to you, then as we continue in our prayers for your people. You are the creator of all things, our God who is above all others in the essence of pure love. We join our hearts in praise for the mighty ways in which you work in our lives every day and give honor to you as our Lord and King. Lord, our prayers revolve around our friends who are here in worship this morning and our friends who are unable to be with us on this day. We pray for your beloved children and celebrate with those who are rejoicing this week and mourn with those who are grieving. We lift up in prayer those among us who are dealing with a vast array of health concerns and pray that your healing hand will be laid upon them with mercy and strength. Lord, we pray for Glenn Goring, for Jane Jackson, and for Harlan Hamdorf, who have been hospitalized this week. We ask your blessings of peace and comfort on the, fairy, on the family of Mary Brockhart, who passed away this week, and pray that in the midst of their grief, that her son John and his family will know that you are with them in their times of sorrow. We also remember Doris Hoth, who passed away this last week, and we praise you for her life, her service to your church, and the friendships that she had with many of us here. We lift up each and every one of these prayers, as well as the silent prayers of our hearts. We lay them at the feet of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray in saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we have the covenant that you have given us. We have your scripture and your promise to each one of us. And now as, as Pastor Mike steps forward and uh, is, is filled with the Holy Spirit and carries your word and your message uh, th through him to us, we ask 
uh, your, your blessings on him and ask that uh, he preach with uh, clarity, uh, conviction, knowing that uh, he walks beside you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well done, team. Kind of a fun morning uh, this morning, uh, walking through this with, with you all. I want to make one uh, kind of prefatory remark. Apparently, last week when I was gone in West Branch, uh, Pastor Keith mentioned that uh, it was raining, so I just couldn't make it to church. Given that, Pastor Keith couldn't get his Harley started this morning. It's too cold, so he couldn't make it today. Uh, Pastor Keith is off on a week of vacation, so we want to uh, certainly be uh, grateful for that. And I do want to tell you that as those of you that uh, are here, uh, there's a huge announcement coming towards the end of our worship service. <clears throat> and if you're a guest or visitor with us, we're really glad you're here. Uh, this is something we've been endeavoring towards for a number of years. We're going to announce the largest uh, campaign our church has ever uh, done towards the end of this worship. So, so uh, if you haven't been alongside that with us, um, uh, we're glad you're here, and just try to drink it in, and you'll get some information with it as we go. Now, Pastor Keith and I have been standing here for the last eight or ten weeks, and we've been teaching you the mission uh, of our church. So what I'm going to do, and this is going to help the most if you use your voices, is I'm going to start the phrase saying the mission of the church is, and you guys fill it in with me, okay? So let's try it together. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. It's on your bulletin, it's on the screens, all that kind of stuff. But it's indeed true. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And to fulfill that mission, First United Methodist Church is going to be about the business of building. Now we're going to build two things. First, of course, I talked to you about it briefly, but we are going to build more facilities. It's our aim to grow our facilities and to meet the needs of Marion by the kinds of facilities we build and speak to the population that's here and yet to come. That's part of it. The second thing that we really want to build as we build church, the church is we want to build the body of Christ that's been defined to us as ecclesia, the gathering of God's people. That's how we make disciples of Jesus Christ and transform the world. It's through the body of Christ. Let me, let me give you this example. Years ago, sometimes it's not obvious, but years ago I was relatively athletic. And when I lived in Colorado Springs, I was about 25 years old or so, and I played a lot of racquetball. And in racquetball, there's several divisions, the top group of which is the A division, and I'd worked hard and I played a lot, and I moved up into the A division. And the, the Point Athletic Club, which was the, the club Teresa and I were members of, was having a club-wide tournament, and they had several satellite locations. So everybody was flown into Colorado Springs one day. And I'd played my way into the quarterfinals, so I was feeling pretty good about myself. And then this guy that I was going to play kind of walked in. He's an older guy. He's like 32, 33, you know. <laughs> he was. And he had sweatpants on, you know. He had sweatpants on. And I'm thinking, okay, let's see what this guy's got. And he goes in and warms up, and he's got his sweatpants on. He never takes his sweatpants on. Not only that, but as we were warming up, he kind of ran like this around there. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to smoke this guy. But here's the thing. When the match started, he was still running around like that, and he took me to school. I mean, he beat me in those three games just north of embarrassing. So it wasn't so bad that I was embarrassing, uh, embarrassed. But, but you know, if you ever play racquetball, there's an area in the court. And if you control that, 85% of the balls will come to you. And he was keeping the ball about three to two inches off the ground. And he just slayed me. And I say to you, but wait, 
there's more. After the games, we went into the locker room, and he went into his locker, and he unfolded this kind of contraption, and then he sat down on it. It had wheels on it, and I'm like, what the heck? And then he took his legs off. He had prosthetic limbs below his knees, and so to shower, he had to take them off. I got beat by a guy that was running on prosthetic legs. And I said to him, wow, he's a military guy. He told me the story about what happened. And I said, that's too bad. And he says, you know, thanks, man. I appreciate that. He says, but I want to tell you one thing. And I said, what's that? And he says, you know, if you have to live with half a body, choose the top half. (laughs) Makes sense if you play out the possibilities in your mind, doesn't it? You know, if you have to live with half a body, live, choose to live with the top half. So don't make any mistake as to where this, this story is, is leading you to. The top half of the church is the ecclesia. The top half of the church is the body of Christ, the human beings. I was standing out here in, in the hallway uh, just about a week or so ago talking to one of our older members who had just lost his spouse. And he said to me, you know, Pastor Mike, I couldn't have made it through all this without my church. Now, do you think that which was giving him the, the, the things that he needed in his heart that was cooking meals for him, coming over to his house and visiting him, was this group of buildings? I don't think I ever saw him standing outside hugging the cornerstone. That's not the church he was talking about. When he says, I can't, couldn't have made it through this without my church, he was talking about the body of Christ, which is the people. You know, also this week I met a family. They, they've decided to come to our church, which is really cool. And, and they were with me in my office and they were here they gave me permission to to tell this story but they said this to me sitting in my office they said we've been looking for a church where we would be fed and we could serve god now you don't think there's a lot of buildings that are called churches out there they weren't talking about buildings there's a lot of buildings a lot better than the one we have but they were looking for a body of christ they were looking for a church that is people where they could be fed by the gospel and they could serve the Lord through him. So, so, so understand that what we're talking about is the top half of the church, which is the ecclesia. The bottom half, the brick and mortar, the buildings that we use, are not unimportant. They are important. They're useful gathering places through which relationships can be grown and nurtured, and we need them, and we need others, newer ones. See, Jesus mostly directed his teachings at the top half of the church. He never really talked about what kind of church style you should build, whether it should be in the round or have a baptismal pit in the middle of it or anything like that. What Jesus talked about was building up the body of Christ. Jesus saw then and sees now a world where there are many people who are searching and seeking and ready to spend their lives on something great. And he saw then and he sees now a world that's ripe with anticipation and in need of workers to bring them to him. And he admonishes us today to pray for workers in the harvest. When Lisa read that scripture a moment ago where it says, the harvest is plentiful, the harvest is great. Ask the Lord of the harvest to bring workers. Our job is to pray that workers might come alongside us. Now, it's important for us also to understand that oftentimes God answers our prayers by using us. God answers our prayers by qualifying us. I mentioned last week, I went out to West Branch, and, and I, I was preaching at West Branch last week, and I, and I got to tell you this, because this is a good story. I went out there, preached a sermon, 
at the end of which they filled out their pledge cards. And their two top givers weren't there that day. And yet their giving increased 20% next year over last year. That's a good sermon. Come on. That is a good sermon. I mean, seriously, come on. Somebody's got to show me some love. You know, I, I kid you guys because it really obviously wasn't about that one sermon. I'd been consulting with them over the previous six weeks, and I've met with them a number of times, and I'd heard from some of their leaders what was going on, and I said right to their board, and I mean, I came with guns blazing. Matter of fact, last week, I preached 40 minutes. They're used to 20. I'm going to preach shorter than that uh, today even. Don't mess with it when it's on fire, okay? <laughs> but, but I said to the group, I said, you know, I've kind of seen what some of your problems are, and here's what you're, what, what you're wrestling with at the church, is you guys are all so in love with your preferences. You want what you want, and you're not even considering what God might want. You're so in love with your preferences that you're not seeing what the purposes of God in your church would be. You need to focus on what the purposes of God are and let some of your preferences fall away because the purposes that God has for you might multiply your church in ways that you haven't seen. And over a six-week period, we worked through some stuff to to where the end result, frankly, was quite astonishing. 20% gain is an astonishing gain, and there will be more than that as time goes on. I heard to this, to this matter, heard a conversation between two kids this week. I was in a coffee shop, and I was creeping on kids, all right? I listened to these two girls, and they laid out some high school problem, which I didn't care about, of course, but, uh, I mean, I love high school kids. I just don't want to be their best friends. I want to be their leader, all right? Um, and this girl laid out this problem, and then she said to her friend, what do you think she, sh- what do I think I should do? And she says, and, the, one, and, and the, the, the girl who had told the problem, she says, well, I guess it doesn't really matter. I'll just follow my heart. I'll just follow my heart. You know, usually in our world today, we say, oh, puppies and flowers. Oh, follow your heart. Oh, that's nice. Her little friend said this, and it was one of the best lines I've heard in a long time. She said, that's stupid. Look where your heart has already taken you. Don't follow your heart. Follow God's heart. And I took that right out to West Branch and told him the same thing. Don't follow your heart. Look at the places it's taken you. Follow God's heart and where he wants you to go. When you pray for, for the Lord of the harvest to give uh, assets in the harvest, uh, allow him to use you in the way he wants to use you, not in the way that maybe you think you ought to do. See, there's a call to action in this scripture all the time that says pray for the Lord of the harvest to lead you. And you heard Pastor Keith last week do a marvelous job, I thought, of uh, as I listened to his talk, of explaining to you what the Healthy Church Initiative is and how it's one of those things that you take a healthy church and seek to make it healthier. And we're doing that primarily through several things, but two that I want to share with you briefly. One of the things that we're really working on is our connections. That is the building of relationships within the congregation, within our community. Not just in here, but out there. Do you know if somebody comes to visit a church, this church or any other church, they decide in the first seven minutes whether they're coming back or not? Usually in those seven minutes, a pastor hasn't said a word and nobody's sung anything. Because those seven minutes go back to where they looked for and found a parking spot came into the facility, and came in contact with the ecclesia, the body of Christ. So you see the responsibility, while pastors will work our hardest, only 8% of the people that ever come to church stay because of preaching or leadership, because there's good preaching going on all over the place. 
It's all about the body of Christ and how we bring them in. And so because I, I believe that you can get friendly anywhere. I can go out to Walmart this afternoon and buy furnace filters. I can get friendly there. Hey, we're glad you're here. Want a yellow sticker? That's friendly, right? Right? It is. It's friendly. But I want friends. You know, you want friends. And the reason that you've hung around the body of Christ is that you've found relationships within it or are seeking them now. So we're going to work on that connections. The other thing that we're working on really hard is what's called a disciple pathway uh, through which the body of Christ can be built in relationship with Christ. And of course, there's a lot of tactics that we're going to be rolling out and stuff like that. But here's the simplest part of it, is that everyone here needs to be in a deeper relationship with Christ than where they are right now, regardless of where you start. And so that group has been working on ways to help people get started, because there's a lot of adults that come in here and say, you know what, I don't know much about the Bible. I've been coming to church 30 years, but I don't know much about, I'm like the Jethro Bodine of Bible reading. You know, that goes right by everybody under 35 years of age. Who is Jethro Bodine? But we want to find a place where everybody can start. Because here's what I know about anything that you're going to grow or get better at. You start where you start and you work from there. And so we're going to be endeavoring to do that through our discipleship pathways. And we're going to equip ourselves for success. And we're going to pray that God will enable these things to happen in the church. Because here's what I know. We say all the time around here that God does not call the qualified, but rather qualifies the called. Aren't you glad? Because probably none of us are qualified to serve the kingdom of God. But all of us are called. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, can qualify us. So we pray that God will qualify the call. Because here's the thing, as I turn this, this part of the service towards home. There's a 21st century opinion that really torques my cord. The 21st century opinion that's all around here is that all that exists of the church in mainline Protestantism is the bottom half. You know, the bottom half of the church is is architectural structures that have immense beauty that are wonderful museums to go in and gaze upon, stained glass windows or bell towers or something like that. And I would tell you this, Jesus doesn't need any museums And so there's a 21st century opinion that is my response to that. And it's pretty simple and it's pretty clear. We're going to build. We're going to build. We're going to build both. Yes, we're going to build new facilities. We're going to build facilities that are built, built with human hands. We're going to build them out on a farm field. That is our aim, and we shall not be dissuaded by the power of Christ. That is our aim. That is our goal, and we will succeed. And we will build up a fortified ecclesia, a fortified body of Christ that's primed and ready to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of our world. That is our aim. That is our goal. And by the power of Christ, we shall not be dissuaded and nothing on heaven and earth will knock us down from that goal. It is what the congregation exists for. It's what people need. It is the harvest to which we're sent. Let's pray. God, we thank you for that which you call us to. We thank you for that which you qualify us for. And we ask, O God, that we might be fruitful and useful in the task. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, my name is Angela Stockert. I love the Lord and have been a member of First United Methodist Church of Marion all my life. I've been baptized, confirmed, and married at FUMC. My son Tanner, four, and my daughter Cassidy, one, have also been baptized here at the church. We support in giving of our gifts to FUMC 
because we look forward to the many opportunities that our kids will have to grow in their faith through the youth programs. But we've also been enjoying, as a family, in the mission ministries of our church. One of these includes the Christmas shoe boxes. Our kids have enjoyed just picking out the items for that boy or that girl and just getting all excited about putting it in the box. We are grateful for these ministries, and part of our worship is giving of our gifts. So I ask you now that you will join me in worshiping God in this way. Will the ushers please come forward? So it is a a thrill and with great joy in my heart that I have the opportunity to share with you uh, an announcement that is uh, as fundamentally uh, church-shifting as any that have happened in the life of this congregation. First United Methodist Church of Marion has always taken the concept of community seriously. Our belief in God urges us to support the community, seek to help the disenfranchised in our community, and be a beacon of hope and body in Christ that brings the joy of living into the community. This congregation has always had big dreams, huge hopes and intentions for this church. And in this generation, we've already taken the first steps in realizing these dreams by raising enough funds to purchase land for our new facilities so we can continue to expand our ministries in the area in which our city is growing. We have the land close to where Marion City Center is predicted to be in 2020. The time to take a huge next step is upon us. Our needs are great, but our dreams to spread God's word and, our, and love are even greater. In order to do this efficiently and most effectively, we must address some pressing needs. Our facilities, the ones we're in right now, are old and aging and inadequate to meet the needs of a 21st century church. Our sanctuary was first constructed in 1890. The Wesley Hall Education Building was added in the 1960s. And our annex was constructed in the 1990s. While we've enjoyed using these facilities, retrofitting them has not only resulted in inefficiencies within our own facilities, but the layout makes it very difficult to move around from one area to another. With such old, aging, and antiquated buildings, it's hard to attract new members. This is a matter of fact. We need to create a more welcoming environment that, needs, that, that not only attracts people, but also it makes accessibility and mobility within the facility easy for everyone. It should encourage people to gather and greet one another more easily before and after worship and other celebrations that are held within our church. We come to the 11 o'clock service, those of us that are here, so we don't face what 8.30 and 9.45 face, which is just about every week their pastor saying, Amen, God bless you, get out, so the next group can get in here. We can hang around a little bit more, and we need to build that for others. Obviously, parking is a serious issue that we've had to contend with for some time at Marion First. Because of our downtown location, parking is very limited, particularly on weekdays. One quantifiable fact is that we lose prospective visitors and members just because they cannot find a place to park or they can't figure out where to park. Our members and guests with many physical limitations are made to walk the full length of a football field from their car to the sanctuary. Moreover, we would be in serious trouble if one of the local businesses would decide to allow us not to graciously use their parking lot on Sundays. So... The first phase of our master plan calls for constructing a 19,810-feet 19, square foot facility on the 29 acres on the corner of REC Drive and Highway 13. This facility will include a large multi-purpose center, which will serve as a temporary worship space 
uh, be used as a gym and available for many other programs. The total cost for Phase 1A is in the $9 million range, while Phase 1B, which includes a narthex added on to that, is in the $13 million range. Our objective is to tentatively break ground in the spring of 2017. This new worship space will comfortably sit 600 people, and the increased space will allow us to be inviting and act on our calling to reach out to the unchurched in our community. A full commercial-grade kitchen will be included in our Welcome and Worship Center. Our kitchen will be equipped to handle large group gatherings, including weddings and funeral receptions. And we'll have even more space to continue serving the community through Fly and other programs. We will be much more welcoming to all by having an entire facility that is ADA compliant. Several rooms will surround the multi-purpose room, which will give us ample space in the long run for storage and in the short run for Christian education. Our parking situation will be dramatically improved. We'll actually have one. The first phase, the first phase calls for constructing a parking lot to the north of our new worship and welcome center, which will accommodate 261 vehicles. Ample parking for handicap will be available. At least a dozen handicap stalls will be included and located close to each effort entrance. Now, please understand that much effort and thought has gone into what will happen to our existing facilities. The What's Next Task Force, after 12 months of work, gave their final report to our church council in September. And while many of you have read that report in its many appendices, it is available at marionmethodist.org, and some printed copies are around the church. The copies here at the church, though, do not have the appendices that have many pictures and, and so forth to them, but feel welcome to take one. Using that report as my guide, allow me to make a brief summary statement regarding each of the buildings we currently own and use. As has been widely circulated, the Mission Education Building uh, will be demolished this week. The cost of needed repairs and the marginal value of the building for ministry or resale has driven this decision. Within a few weeks, a handful of new parking spaces will be available where it now stands. The Carnegie Center, or Old Marion Library, will continue to be a ministry center for us in downtown Marion for as far as we can see. We choose not to leave the, the, the uh, center of our community, and so we will hold that facility as far as we possibly can see for administration and some ministries. Our intention is to maintain our current worship facilities because it is the center of our ministry, and it may become real estate as our new facilities grow. These facilities are a blessing to us from our forefathers and foremothers of the faith, and we plan to use them to their full capacity in the interim for their ministry. Unfortunately, due to the age and the logistics of it, when the moment comes some years down the road where most of our ministries can be housed at the REC Drive property, after we take those things from here that are particularly precious to us to the new building, this facility will be put on the market for sale. To complete the building project in its entirety and to fulfill our dreams, our master plan calls for multiple phases that will add to our church campus and provide many new opportunities for worship uh, for our members and our visitors. As we grow, we'll add to the, our parking, build a large sanctuary with capacity for all of our ministries, add a new wing for our Caring Corner daycare, our children's education, and later we'll have dedicated areas for music, art, middle and senior high ministries. And lastly, a new administration, chapel, and adult education center will be constructed. So to address our needs and plans, we are initiating an intensive fundraising effort titled the Build Campaign. Our aim with this important effort is to raise the funds required to build a new worship and welcome center. 
The total cost of Phase 1A, again, is $9 million, and our minimum fundraising goal is $3.5 million, which will enable us to act on Phase 1A and break ground in the spring of 2017. A second, higher fundraising goal of $5.4 million has also been set, which, if met, will allow us to pursue Phase 1B and start construction again in the spring of 2017. Currently, this present time, we have $600,000 on hand from the Believe campaign. Obviously, with such lofty goals, in addition to this fundraising, we will need to seek sensible financing that fits with our Methodist social principles to meet our goal to build in the middle of this decade. The Build campaign will officially commence with a special All Together Day, the one that we've been talking about so frequently, featuring a campaign kickoff celebration at Marion High School on Sunday, December 8th at 9.30 a.m. You're encouraged and invited to attend. I encourage you to bring everyone who has a stake in Marion First United Methodist Church, regardless of how they feel about this campaign right now. But if they call First United Methodist Church home, they really should see what's going to happen there because there's going to be a lot of answers given to questions. The campaign will culminate on Sunday, February 9th at a special time we're calling Commitment Weekend when campaign volunteers will be visiting with members after services in their home or by phone to explain our efforts and answer questions and invite your financial participation. In preparation for this important effort, I'm going to ask you as congregational friends and members to participate in three different ways and three specific ways. In the pews this morning, you'll find a Build Campaign prayer. They're printed on cards like this. Could you find that right now? Now, so oftentimes we say, oh, we should pray about that. This morning we're going to pray for it right now. The print is small, so I have to hold it far away, but you put it where you need, and let's pray it aloud together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you with our hearts filled with love and gratitude. Acknowledging that all we have and all that we are is a gift from you. As we seek to move forward in our mission to create disciples of Christ, we ask your blessing on all who are participating in the Build campaign. May each of us come to understand the part our contribution will play as we create new facilities and reach out to our community. We know that you call us to be generous and that your generosity is always greater than our own. Help us to be bold in our vision for the future, being assured that if we follow your will, you will bless our efforts to reach the day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. I encourage you to take those cards home, put them on your refrigerator, put it on your dashboard, and be reminded to pray for this frequently. Pray regularly for this campaign's success. The extent of our effectiveness depends on many things, the most important which is the abundant blessing, and guiding grace of God. Secondly, please prayerfully consider becoming a campaign volunteer. Over 120 individuals or couples are needed to assist with the campaign in a variety of ways to assure that the effort is efficiently run and that the job of volunteering is easy and enjoyable for everyone. I'm pleased to announce this morning that Chuck and Sherry Alexander and Larry and Joni Witzel have graciously agreed to serve as our campaign chairpersons with Tom and Joan Padley, Mike and Diana Anderson, Greg and Becky Tallman, Dana and Lori Mortensen, and Chris Donahue agreeing to head our important support committees for prayer, hospitality, youth and children's gifts, communications, and creative giving, respectively. Please join me in thanking them, and then also, please follow their lead.
Toward that end, in your pews today, there's a special volunteer intent card. They're there by the red hymnals or somewhere dug in there after three services. I'm not sure where they're at anymore. But I ask you to please complete that and turn that in if you're willing to volunteer in any way for our campaign. Um, We're going to be taking up a special collection of these cards at at the conclusion of our ministry. And if there isn't a volunteer intent card where you're sitting and you want to volunteer, just grab a prayer card card and say, I want to volunteer for the campaign. Put your name on it. We'll find you. So pray for the campaign. Volunteer for the campaign. And finally, thirdly, you will all eventually be asked, and you will be asked, to support the campaign effort financially. When you are, and hopefully you do, It's important for you to know that there are a variety of ways that gifts can be made, ranging from cash to non-cash gifts, or even gifts that are deferred. But ultimately, long-term subscriptions or pledges payable over a minimum of three years are needed the most and preferred since it would be impractical, if not impossible, to reach a goal of this magnitude with a one-time out-of-pocket gift. We also ask that whatever gift you give ultimately be made out of joy and excitement in your heart and also be made in such a way that it's over and above what you currently give to the church because we cannot cripple the top half of the church while we build the bottom half. Now, if you have questions, just ask. For those who have questions about this effort, there's question cards all around the church. There's drop boxes at a number of places around the church. Of course, you can always use email and whatnot. But if you have a particular question or concern, just write it down or or send us an email. We are happy to hear from you and desire to respond to you. In fact, every week, the Campaign Messenger, a special publication, will be distributed after services. And you'll get one today on your way out. And we'll have a special question and answer column in those things where we can uh, put our responses to the questions that that are being raised over and over. Because if you have a question about the project, it's likely that 10 others have it, so please ask it so that we can respond in an appropriate way. Or feel free to talk to any of the campaign uh, workers or the building committee uh, laborers. So through the prayerful and volunteer and financial support of many and the extraordinary support of a few, I'm quite confident that we will succeed in our task. We have no other aim, and by God's hand we shall not be dissuaded. I'm also confident that our past as a church community serves us well as a prologue to promising and prosperous future filled with an improved willingness and ability to God's will and work.